All right, if you would this morning, would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to take our text from verses 18 through 23, and by way of getting there, just let me make a few comments, and then we'll get into the scripture this morning. Last year, it seems odd to say that, but it was last year, just a few months ago, I began a Sunday night series from the book of 1 Corinthians. But with each one of those sermons that I would preach, one of the things that really hit me is I was convinced that the time that I needed to preach the series was not on a Sunday night, but on a Sunday morning where more of God's people would hear uh, what was being said. So this morning, I kind of want to give a, a background for this letter and the purpose that Paul was writing this letter to the church. It's important always when you and I come to study the Word of God, and really what we're doing here this morning, that's exactly what we're here for. We're here to study what the Word of God says so that we can make application of the Word of God to our lives. And to do that, we really need to understand the background of who was, this was being written to and why it was being written to them because we need to understand it in the context of what Paul was writing. And so along those lines, the church at Corinth was a church that was plagued by worldly attitudes that stayed with the body as they came into the church. The problem was like so many churches today uh, that their thinking was not right. All right. So the idea behind it was is that here are a group of people who were becoming followers of Jesus Christ, but as they stepped into the church life, they were maintaining their old way of thought and trying to have that inside the church. They were, in a sense, trying to keep one foot in the world and one foot in the church. In a sense, they were trying to say, what we want is we want the blessings of God, but we want to continue to do the things that we have always done. And brothers and sisters, just like Paul was addressing in that day, those things are incompatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we always keep in mind that where people are at, there are some who are more mature in Christ than others. Uh, there are certainly more people who are mature than, more mature than me. And I'm not talking about age. I'm talking about spiritually. And, and hopefully I'm a little bit more mature than some others. But the idea is that you and I are always growing to become more like Jesus Christ. So that is Paul's writing to this letter. It was really a letter of correction. As a matter of fact, every letter that he wrote uh, to the church of Corinth was a letter of correction. He was trying to straighten them out in the way that they were thinking. Now here at West, by, West Side Baptist Church, we have a saying, and hopefully y'all are starting to catch on to this. Uh, I've been saying it for about nine months, I think. Right thinking will produce right living. All right? So th that ought to be something that just becomes a mantra for us here at, at West Side, that right thinking will produce right living. So the question then comes up, what is right thinking? Well, here's what right thinking is. Right thinking is produced through the study and the understanding and application of God's word. Amen. Now, see, that's the problem that the church of Corinth had, is they were not taking what God's word said, they were not studying what God's word said, and they were not applying what God's word said. And that was the reason that Paul was addressing them in the way that he is. And I want to encourage you this morning to go back, if you haven't, if you weren't here, 
and listen to the series that is posted on the website up to this point. There's probably about seven messages that are there. Uh, we may have missed one. Uh, but I want to encourage you to go and listen to them because I can't go back and preach every single one of them. I suppose I could, but I, I prayed pretty diligent about it. You know, I went back and forth. Should I just preach everything again? And I decided, hey, uh, we'll just pick up where we're at. But let me give you a little bit of what we have found out uh, up to the point we are at this morning in chapter 3 and verses 18 through 23. Here's what we have seen so far, just a general outline. We have learned that we have been called by God. Now, here's a background as well of what's going on in the church of Corinth. There is a major problem of disunity. There is a major problem in that church of division. Now, I told you the Sunday night crowd on when I started preaching on this, don't freak out. I don't know of any division going on in the church right now. But I will promise you this, as a church grows, there will always be the opportunity for division to arise. Can I get an amen out of that? And so the idea behind this is, is preventative, right? It's so that we would say, here's how we prevent those things from happening. So here, here's what happens. He says, number one, we found out that we are called by God. Understanding this, that we have always believed that grace is the issue that brings us to Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that, right? So it is grace, but we need to understand that the calling that God gives in our life, every single thing to do with salvation is by God. He is the one who initiates. He calls us. We have no bragging rights whatsoever. Now, why was he reminding the church at Corinth that? He wanted them to understand, listen, you're not something great. Uh, he says, I'm not something great. We have all been called by God, and we ought to all be thankful for it. As a matter of fact, this morning, Ann and I were sitting just talking over coffee, and we were talking about the Sunday school lesson a little bit, and we were talking about how depressing it can be when we look at the world that we live in. But it was a, it was a lesson uh, that, that is true not only then, it's a lesson that is true now. But it's, it's one of the things I told Ann, I says, the more I see the wickedness of this world, the more I grow in Christ, the more I understand that God is absolutely just in condemning the wicked. And then we both made this observation. Aren't you glad for God's mercy? Because if it were not for mercy, and this is the call, because if it was not for God's call in my life, I never would have understood grace, I never would have understood his mercy, and therefore I could be exactly like those who would say it's fine to murder a baby at nine months old. And so would you. Can I get an amen? You see, so we understand, here's this call that, that he puts in our life, and, and then after that we found out this, that it is, uh, we learned that he has gifted the church at Corinth, that they were not lacking in any spiritual gift. They had every gift that they needed. They, need, they had all the speaking gifts, they had all the serving gifts, and yet here was the problem that they had. They were either misusing those gifts, or they were not using them at all. Can I tell you that one of the things that probably plagues the 20th century church more than anything else is the very same thing that plagued the church in Corinth. There was either a misuse of those gifts or they weren't used at all. And he makes that correction, and we're going to study more about that as we go along, but he was letting them know, saying, listen, you've got everything that you need to conduct the business of the Father. Get busy with it. Then he goes on and he says that there were divisions that had caused 
problems in the church. You remember there are some saying that, hey, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Cephas. Another one says, I follow Apollos. And, and he was getting on to them saying, listen, stop that thinking. And here was the thinking, right? Because they came out of that Greek culture, they would look at a philosopher of that age and they would say, I like this guy's wisdom. You know, I like the way this guy thinks. And so I'm going to become a follower of him. And so that had crept into the church as well. And so it had began to say, well, I'm just going to be a follower of Paul. Well, I'm just going to be a follower of Cephas. What they were looking at is saying, I just like the way this guy does things. Here's the issue. Paul, Peter, and Apollos were all godly men who were teaching the truth of Jesus Christ. Amen? North, South? Y'all awake? All right. Okay, making sure. So we find in chapter 3... Paul admonishes them over that, and then we find also in uh, chapter 3 that he admonishes them over their behavior, and their behavior was this. They looked more like the world that they were saved from. They looked more like the lost than they did the redeemed. It's the same thing that is spoken against in Revelation, that the world had crept into the church, and the church resembled more of the world than it did of God's church. That's a problem that all of us must fight today. It's a letter that was written to them, but it is for us. Here's the problem. You see, they were behaving just like the world, and, and they were treating uh, sin in the church like it was no big deal at all. We're going to discover that as we study uh, this book together, and acting like sin was not a big deal with believers in the church. When Paul says, listen, when they behave that way, they need to be rebuked, they need to be admonished, and yet then they wouldn't go out and, and share Christ with the community that they should be sharing Christ with. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's the way a lot of churches are today. God help us. I hope we'll never be that way. Yeah, I'm, I'm just making sure everybody's tracking with me today. Y'all are looking at me like a calf, like a, uh, you know, a calf looking at a, at a gate for the first time this morning. All right, so here we go. So, he, he wants them to understand that, that the redeemed have a responsibility to reach the lost. And then in our last study, right before this lesson, he, he says this, that he saw that all believers are going to be judged according to their giftedness and how they use their gifts for the glory of God. Same thing that we studied for the last two Wednesday nights on, on, you know, about the great uh, or the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. And let me just, let me just emphasize this. If, if there was one lesson that you would want to go back and listen to on the website, listen to that one. Because there's going to come a day that every single one of us that is born again will stand before Jesus Christ and we will give an account, not of our sin, because that has been handled on the cross. Great place for amen, hallelujah. However, you and I will stand before the Lord and give an account of the things that he has given us to do in this life, in this body, whether good or bad. Some will stand the test of fire, and some, the Bible says, will burn up like hay, wood, and stubble. And some of God's people will enter into heaven as one who escapes through the flames. In other words, the only thing that they will take into heaven with them is their eternal soul. And you say, well, that's not a bad deal. I still get in. I don't think so. I can't imagine standing. It's going, to be, it's going to be hard enough that I will stand before the Lord knowing that I have done a lot of things in the flesh and that I've missed a lot of opportunities for the kingdom of God. And all that's going to burn up. But I know that also there are going to be some things that he's going to say, well done, 
that stood the test of time, stood the test of fire. And there will be a reward for that. By the way, if you've missed that, uh, there are several folks around here who can teach you that lesson. Any of y'all from Wednesday night, just go ahead and say amen. Yeah, say, so wait a minute. You don't have to come to the pastor. A lot of folks have been going through those lessons that can take the word of God and teach that lesson to you. Uh, and if you missed it, grab one of them, uh, and, and they'll do that. And then this Wednesday night, we'll finish that up, by the way. All right. So the main theme up to this point, and I know this is a lengthy introduction, but I need to get us caught up. The main theme up to this point has been about the unity in the body and how we preserve and protect that unity that God has already given us. Don't miss what I just said. It, he has been saying to maintain and to protect the unity in the body of Christ that he has already given to the church. It's not something that we need to generate. God has provided that unity. It is up to us to maintain it. Now, we're going to look at that today in one more lesson on division and unity. And as a matter of fact, you'll notice that the title for this morning's lesson was a remedy, a remedy for strife. But we're also going to be covering a lot of other subjects as we go through uh, this uh, book. And it's going to cover marriage. It's going to cover immorality. It's going to cover proper worship. How do you and I come and properly worship the Lord? It's going to cover how you and I are to serve in the body of Christ. It's going to cover roles and responsibilities in the church. And, and that's not a, an absolute complete list. Those are just some of the things that we'll be looking forward to of studying the word of God. Now let me go back. Right thinking produces right living and right living is studying, understanding, and applying the Word of God. And if you're not willing to study the Word of God, if you're not willing to understand the Word of God, and if you're not willing to apply the Word of God to your life, you will never live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And let me tell you, dear saint, there will be a day you'll stand before him and you will have a heap of ashes. That's the truth. It's important what we, we study. It's important that we live out what we know. And once we find out what it says, it's important that we act on it and do it. All right. So let's, uh, let's step into the word this morning. Uh, verses, uh, chapter 4, verse 18 uh, through 20. Let me just read those, and I'm going to go back and talk about uh, two or three of those verses uh, one at a time. Uh, verse 18 says, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. Let me just stop right there. And let me say the first thing, now keep in mind, we're talking about a remedy, a remedy for strife. And here's the first thing when we talk about a remedy for strife. Verse 18, refuse self-deception. Okay, here's, here, I'm sorry, I didn't give you the main points, did I? All right, here, here are the main points. Uh, just hold what you got there on the screen, guys. Here, here are our main points for this morning's missions. Don't be deceived. That'll be point number one. Don't be deceived. Point number two will be don't boast in men. And point number three will, don't forget whose you are. All right? Don't be deceived. Don't boast in men. And don't forget whose you are. 
So the first point being, don't be deceived, we find that in verses 18 through 20. And here's that sub-point under, don't be deceived, refuse self-deception. Verse 18, it says there, let no man deceive what? Who? Himself. Right? Here's the problem. You and I are absolutely capable of deceiving ourselves about almost anything. You know who we talk to most in life? Anybody want to take a guess? Ourselves. We are constantly talking to ourselves. And one of the things that is very, very uh, uh, easy for to happen in our life is that we are able to deceive ourselves. I, I'd say sometimes that I still think that, uh, that I, uh, you know, I think like I'm a young man, but the fact of the matter is my mind is telling me that, my body is telling me something totally different, right? So I, sometimes I can be self-deceived in that area, but here's something else that is very easy for us to do. I can be self-deceived when it comes to the issue of spiritual uh, uh, ramifications. And, and so what, what he is saying here, and he's talking to the, the Corinthian church, remember, here is this strife that is in the church. Here is division that has come up in the church, all because they have forgotten who called them, all because they were misusing spiritual gifts, because they were following men rather than God. And he says, here is this strife here, and he says, look, you're being self-deceived, don't do that. What is the self-deception that he is speaking of? It is the issue of human wisdom that tries to infiltrate the church. In particular, issues of salvation, issues of what church life is like to be, issues of what Christian living is to be. It is when God's people start to interject their own wisdom in these areas, I guarantee you that it will cause division. Now, certain times there needs to be division. There are certain things that you and I must be dogmatic about. There are certain issues that you and I must hold on to the word of God and say, I will not move on this issue. Now, but there are other issues that are not so important. But it is amazing to me, Ann and I went to the Christian bookstore the other day. We started walking through the Christian bookstore, and I was amazed at how many books there are there. I mean, books for everything. You know, I mean, it's just amazing. Now, here's the problem that we can run into sometimes. Now, I believe there are a great many authors. In fact, I saw a book that I wanted. I'm going to go get it uh, because it's a great book on evangelism and structuring things along those lines. But I'm going to tell you, there's some things out there that are well that we need to be very careful of what they are saying because is it God's wisdom or is it the wisdom of the world? And there are a lot who masquerade as godly men who bring the ideas of the world into the church and people are self-deceived thinking that they're following holiness when really all they are following is worldly philosophy. Think about that. Uh, we, we were, uh, and I don't remember who I was talking to, and I, and I won't call the denomination. And we were talking about the issue, I, I do now to remember, but I'm still not going to say who it was and what denomination. And the church that they attended, they had had sanctity of life is just like us. But their in-laws were in town, and they were talking about that, and the in-laws were like, what are you talking about? What, what is sanctity of life? And the denomination that they go to believe in pro-choice rather than pro-life. Now, I think that we made a very good case last week out of the Bible that what the Bible says is that we need to treasure every single life. Right? So, 
That's what I'm talking about. We need to be careful that human wisdom doesn't come in. Look, and, and listen, as long as I'm pastor here when it comes to something like that, if you want to come and argue that with me, great. You bring your Bible, you bring your, uh, your verses, and we'll sit down and go toe-to-toe in love. But I will tell you, this Bible is very clear when it comes to the issue of life. The problem is, is people have taken the word of men rather than the word of God, and they've made more attention and application to the word of men over the word of God. And when that happens, it causes division within the body of Christ. Because you know why? It's because it comes from the enemy. And he loves to stir things up. So that is what we need. We need to be careful that we don't say that we're going to listen to that. Roles uh, in the church. Roles of leadership. Marriage. Uh, my goodness, look at where we are now. I, I mean, now we have to put in a constitution of what marriage really is. That is, is between one man and one woman. And, and that is a battle. Saints, I'm telling you, that's a battle that you and I are going to face. And there's a great chance that we will lose all tax-exempt status just for that fact that we won't bend to what the rest of the world is saying. And there are churches, by the way, that are just buying into this wholesale saying we need to be loving and we need to be accepting of everybody. No, we need to be loving of everybody, but we don't need to be accepting of everybody because God is not accepting of everybody. Can we get past that mantra that has been going on in the church for too long? We don't accept everything that goes on in the world. Listen, the Bible says sin is sin, and sin is an abomination. It is so horrendous that it cost Christ everything. He was nailed to a cross. He was tortured. He was brutalized for sin. And we have to make a stand. And can we get, I was listening to a guy this week, um, we need, as a church, we need to get past this idea that the church in America is not going to suffer persecution, how arrogant it is on America's church's perception to think that just because we're in America, we will not suffer persecution. When the rest of the world, the rest of God's people are suffering. How arrogant You see, that's the wisdom of the world. Now, we can go along to get along. And we won't have to deal with anything. But if we stand up and say, no, I'm not going to be self-deceived. I'm going to stand on the word of God. You know, here's what the Bible says, the Lord says about our thoughts. He says that the thoughts that are not expressly his are foolish. Do you know what that word foolish is? It's where we get our word moron. It's exactly where it comes from, moronic. And when we buy into that world system that says, this is the way you need to think along these lines, and I'm not just talking about LGBTQ, I'm talking about every other thing. I'm talking about what the Bible is clear on. Folks, but we'll never know what the Bible says unless we study what the Bible says. All right, I've got to move on because that's like the first sub-point of the first point. All right, second, under don't be deceived, reject men's wisdom or reject the wisdom of men. Verses 19 and 20 says this, 
For the wisdom of this world is foolishness, that moronic with God. For it is written, he hath taken the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. That word vain, you know what that word means? It means empty. It means fruitless. That there's nothing there. And he says, here's, here's what it comes to when it comes to the wisdom of man. It's a moronic foolishness that has nothing to it. You think about that in eternity. Think about the things that really matter in eternity. So human wisdom is, is just that, human, right? Now, I guarantee you we could take a poll in here today on cer certain subjects, uh, you know, and, and we would probably get a lot of different views concerning those subjects. That is what human wisdom is. And that is what Paul is saying, don't invite that into the church. Here, here's what, let me, let's go back to salvation. Here, here's a classic, okay? When we think about this, what do you think about salvation? Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter what you think about salvation. It's a big zero what you think about salvation. What matters is what does God think about salvation? So I don't need to tell somebody what I think about salvation. What I need to do is I need to tell somebody what God says about salvation. Right? And by the way, that goes for everything else. Now, here, here's where, you know, pull your toes back just a wee bit, okay? Slide them back up under the pew a little bit so I don't step on them too much. Because we will all go, amen, salvation, brother. But what about when I talk about roles in the, in the family? What about, what about when I talk about roles in the church? What, what about when I talk about how to raise your children? Because again, you don't need my opinion about it, nor do I need your opinion about it. What I need is that God, what God says about it. And the problem is, is we've let worldly wisdom come into it too much. Can I tell you something, man? I heard something on the way in this morning that uh, the cartoons now are, are you know, that are on, uh, are uh, new, two new cartoons that have come out really, really recent that are promoting LGBTQ to your children. You better be careful, parents and grandparents, what you're allowing your kids to watch. That is not my opinion. That is based on the principles out of the Bible. Because there's an infiltration that is happening. And we better be really, really careful about what's going on. Do we love all those communities? Absolutely we do. That's the problem that was going on. You see, there wasn't any teaching against those things in the church, but then there was the, also the rejection of going to those very communities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. Let me just give you a couple of things that we can understand about God's wisdom. The only way that you're going to understand the wisdom of God is if God reveals it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 19 through, uh, verses 9 through 16. And, and that is basically says this, there is no way the carnal mind understands the things of the Spirit, right? It is only by the Spirit of God that he reveals those things to us. That's the only way. That's why academia can't understand this book. There's so many things that you look at this, and I mean, they got, that doesn't make any sense. Of course it doesn't make any sense, because you're dealing with a carnal mind as opposed to the spiritual man. So you have to have a, a mind that has been regenerated, a heart that has been regenerated, and that heart can only be regenerated by 
Jesus Christ. If you love me, say amen. amen. All right, I'm just making sure. You're going to have to spend eternity with me, so you may as well get used to it. And I suspect that there will be a whole lot more that would feel the same way in heaven as this does. I loved as I walked through some of these other scriptures, and, and for sake of time this morning, I'm not going to hit all of them. Well, maybe I will. God laughs, listen, God laughs at the attempts of man to appear smarter than him. Turn, turn over to, as a matter of fact, if, if we have it up on the screen, would you go to Job uh, 5.13? Save me from turning there. There we go. Uh, Job, he, he says this, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the froward, he carried headlong. Job speaking, he says, listen, guys think they're really smart. He says, they think they're being crafty. He says, the Lord, he said, I already got them hemmed in. I, I've got them hemmed in on this. Uh, look at uh, Psalm, this is my favorite, Psalm 2, uh, verses 1 through 4. It says, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the anointed saying, let us break the bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. And verse four, and he that setteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. That is amazing. You know what the Lord's saying there? By the way, uh, here, here's, here's something you'll probably learn today, and I didn't even realize this, and I was listening to another uh, scholar who was, not that I'm a scholar, he is, I was listening to a scholar, and, and he says, you know what it takes to make a plural in Hebrew? Three. And so when he says that they take counsel against us, who's he talking about? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So anytime now you read and it says us, it is always in Hebrew, it takes Three to be plural, all right? So what is he saying? Here, are, here, are, here is man, and they think they're so smart, and they're coming against us, and they're saying, we're going to break loose of all of this nonsense. We're going to break loose from the bonds and the bands that, that God has constrained us with, and the Lord sets back and he says, I laugh at them. I laugh at their foolishness. That's the wisdom of man. God says, I laugh at it. Now, let me, let me ask you something. Do you want to be laughed at? Because God says, if you jump in on that bandwagon, he's laughing at you as well. Take the wisdom of God rather than the wisdom of the world. In Psalm 94, 11, let's finish up with that one. Psalm 94, 11, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of a man that they are vanity. Go back to that word vain again, that they're empty. Here he says, you know what the thoughts of a man are? Nothing. Nothing. And why do we say that? Hey, listen, there are a great many things that man has come up with, but every good thing this world has ever experienced through the invention of man, listen, every good thing that the world has ever experienced through the invention of man or the understanding of man is a gift from above. Amen. And every other thing is a gift from the deceiver. So we need to understand that the wisdom of God is what counts, not the wisdom of man. And, and again, why do we need to do this? I, I guarantee, I promise you this, there are some here today who have sometimes chosen the wisdom of man over the wisdom of God. Can I get an amen? Reject it. 
reject the wisdom of men. Third, for this last sub-point of this, respect the word of God. Respect the word of God. John 17, 17 says this, thy word is truth. And you'll notice there it says, sanctify them. It's the Lord praying. Uh, that's where the Lord prays, a great intimate prayer between him and the Father, praying and saying, and one of the things he says, sanctify them through thy truth. And how do we get sanctified? The word. And it goes back to this, studying, understanding, and applying the word of God. That's how you're sanctified. That's how you, you set, set aside in that truth. It is not enough just to reject the wisdom of men. We must replace it with the wisdom of God, which is truth, and the word is truth. Listen to what Dr. MacArthur says, quoting him now. He says, common commitment to the word of God is the basic unifier. You want unity in a church? Commit to study the word of God together. That's one of the great things about D-Life right now. Shameless plug. <laughs> that is one of the great things about D-Life. It's because you're studying the Word of God. You want to have unity in the body of the church? Study the Word of God together. Discover what God's Word says together. What I love about this right now is that for those who are attending uh, this and studying together, you're not just getting a shotgun blast on a Sunday morning that I can maybe speak to you for 45 minutes, and of that 45 minutes, you might remember five minutes of what I say. That's just human nature. But when you study this throughout the week, it becomes something that becomes embedded into your soul. The Bible says that it's living water that comes up out of the belly. That's what we're after. So that, com that common commitment to the word of God is the basic unifier. And then he says this, a Bible that is not studied carefully cannot be followed carefully. And where it is not followed, there will be divisions. If you want to see divisions in a church, I will guarantee you can point to this truth. That's not coming out of scripture, but I guarantee it's scriptural. That if you want to see divisions in the body of Christ, and there are people that are fussing and fighting, it is because they are not unified in studying God's word. Or studying it carefully. And, and I'll say this too, don't just trust me. You better not just trust me. You better be a Berean and study it for yourself. North, south, yes. You don't just trust anybody, right? We're going to get around to one more point on that. All right, number two, I promise these next two points won't be as long. Don't boast in men. Look at verses 21 and 22. He says, therefore, he's looking back. You always say, why, therefore, look back, therefore, because thoughts of man are in vain. He says, therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. Let that, just marinate on that for a minute as I read the rest. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are, are yours. Let me just go ahead and get 13. And ye are Christ, and Christ is God's. So don't boast in men. Therefore, why are we looking back? What, what are we looking back? Because there is the wisdom of men. Be careful about boasting in men. You do not follow church leaders because of their personalities. Think about it. What you need to follow is the word of God. Amen. That is what the Corinthians were guilty of. They were looking at personalities rather than 
what those men were saying. They had carried the same mentality of following gurus of that day and pitting that teacher's philosophy against another's. The problem was they couldn't pit that philosophy against the other because those men were all preaching the word of God. I mean, think about it, Peter, Paul, Apollos. I mean, these were godly men. And, and so the idea behind this is don't boast in men. Boast, if you're going to boast anything, we learned, if, uh, if you're going to boast in anything, if you're going to glory in anything, glory in Christ. Now, that being said, that we are to submit to godly leadership. Oh, did he just say that? Let me prove my point. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, 17 says this. It's probably up there. You can read it. I'll read it from, my, from the word here. Obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. Check it out. All right? I know that's not necessarily uh, seminary talk there. Check it out, but check it out. I am going to stand before God and give an account for you and how I've taught you. And so will every other pastor. And the fact is, one day I'll be gone and another guy will come up here, Lord, you know, if, if this thing keeps going. I know I look young. But I got an expiration date too. Right? So what does it mean? So it means that someday that God will bring another pastor or pastors and you don't need to compare his personality with mine. You need to compare whether he is teaching the word of God faithfully, hopefully, that I will do in my tenure. You see, I'm just running, I'm just running my race. I'm just running my lap, folks. And at some point, someday, I don't know when that will be, I'll pass the baton on. That's what Paul said. He says, listen. Follow that leadership. Now, here's, here's how you know to follow that leadership. I can go up and say, Billy, that Chevrolet ain't going to cut it, bro. Need a Ford. That will hold no water. But if I come to him with the scripture and tell him something out of the scripture and says, this is what you need to do based upon the word of God, that's where the authority comes from. The authority comes from the word of God. Does that make sense? And, and so it's a responsibility of a congregation then not to boast or, or pick up or put men on pedestals, but it is a responsibility to follow their godly leadership. And, and there are checks and balances, by the way, and we'll study through this, that make sure a man does not get out of line. And if he does, there is a way to handle that. And it's called the Bible. God knew that there would be opportunities that that may have to come up. All right. Recognize that all godly leaders are given for your benefit. That's the biggie, what he is saying here. Look at, it says, he says, uh, uh, verse um, 21, Therefore let no man glory in men. Check it out, last, last half of that, for all things are yours. Listen, here, here's the way you look at it. 
every single Bible teacher that you have in this church has been given to you by God for His glory and your benefit. Think about that. So when you think about your Sunday school teacher who's teaching you, that person is there by God for your benefit. Whether it's pastor, Sunday school teacher, whatever. Think about this. When Riley leads us in, in worship, he is there from God for your, for your good. That's why he's there. And by the way, we could even take it a step further. And because it says that we're all in this together, that all the rest of us in this body have been given to each other by God for the good of you. Doesn't that help out, you know, when you realize that? that it's kind of hard to have splits and divisions when you understand those principles. Last point, and we'll get ready to close. Don't forget whose you are. Verse 22 and then verse 23. And Paul and Apollo, Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. He says, listen, all your teachers, they're, they're, they're yours for your benefit. But I, I want you to just, I want you to, I hope you will contemplate some of these things when you leave here today. He says, this world is yours. You say, this world is mine. Yeah, it's yours. You see, the, the Bible makes it very clear. When you get over to Matthew chapter 5, you know, you, read, you should have read that if you're in D-Life this week. It says the meek will inherit what? Oh, how about that? It's yours. There's going to be a day that he says, this, this is yours. I, I made this for you. So when you look out there and you see the beauty of this world, some of you may have seen a post that I put on there of, you know, the Sovereign Republic of Texas and a, a sunset out there, and it was beautiful. And the verse in there was the heavens declare his glory. But can you imagine what it will be like on that day when it's a new heaven and a new earth to see all of that? That's yours. So what he says here, he says, the world is yours. He says that life is yours. Can, can I tell you something, child of God? Even this, not just, not, listen, eternal life began the moment you got saved. It's not something that it's going to be. It is something that began the moment you got saved and you are working toward that, that perfection. But in the meantime, can I say this? Hey, enjoy what you have. Enjoy your life. It's a gift from God. Man, some Christians, it's, it's just like, man, you know, the old saying that, you know, looks like you've been sucking on lemons. Sour and bitter. That's not what God has in mind for us in this life or in the life to come. Start practicing it now so that when you get there, you'll be ready for it. Notice what follows. Death. You say, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't want that. I do. I prefer the rapture. Right? I prefer that. But if death is it, if that's the way that I'm going to get to see my Lord face to face, bring it on. And that's why Paul says, for to live is Christ, to die is gain. Own it. Don't dread it. For crying out loud, 
child of God, that is the doorway into the presence of Almighty God. It's what we have been created for. All this other stuff is going to pass away. We are going to be with him, so we ought to be looking forward to that day. Now, I would hope that there would be a couple of tears when I go, because I'm not going to be around right there with you, but it's just that. It's just I'm sad when my children leave after a vacation, but I know that we're going to get together again. Can I tell you what, for some of us that are getting older, we're starting to get a whole lot more friends and family on the other side than we have on this side, and it ought to be a time that we're looking forward to and saying, I am looking forward to the reunion that I'm going to have. Things to come, and I think that covers it. Last point, too, here is that you belong to Christ. Your life is not your own. It's not yours. It's his. He bought it. Stop acting like it belongs to you. When you give up that, when you give that up, it allows a whole lot of freedom in your life. You'll be amazed how much freedom you have if you're not always trying to please yourself, but you start trying to please him. Anytime I find that I'm all grumpy, and my wife can tell you there are plenty of times like that, it's usually because I've become self-centered thinking about me. And I've become dissatisfied with the grace and goodness of God. And I've started to think about what I want rather than what he wants. And as soon as I repent of that and turn around, then the joy comes back into my life again. It's it's a paradox, really. You you think that by fulfilling yourself, you're going to be happy. What happens is it never gets full and you're always pursuing something else. But when you delight yourself in the Lord, that is when you find joy. All right. That brings to conclusion, because my voice is about gone, this message. We're going to have one more on just unity. And again, nothing going on that I'm aware of. There could be. And and here's the reason the Lord says preach this type of message. Because again, it's preemptive. And and if we start to see something like that, we'll go back and look at those principles and say, hey, let's do these things and let's do it to please him, uh, not ourselves. And then we'll have a church that is always in unity. Right? Does that make sense? All right, heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, we thank you for the day that you've given us. We thank you for your holy word. We thank you for your spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you paid the price. And God, just as we walk through Sunday after Sunday, we're able to see the Trinity, how just a perfect harmony in the way you move among your people. We pray, God, that you would change us day by day, week by week, Lord, year by year, that we become set aside for your purpose, for your glory. God, we pray that uh, you would uh, just change us. I pray this week as your people study your word, Lord, as they gather together tonight and throughout the week to discuss the things that they have learned, Lord, that they would see what you have said Uh, Put aside the things that they think and really determine what your word says. Help us, O God, to be diligent, to be sanctified by the truth, by the study, by the understanding, and by the application of your word. May you be glorified, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.